Welcome to the Mind and Body Understanding Podcast, hosted by Jeff Farian, brought to you by Farian Counseling, LLC, and presented by the Foolproof Entertainment Network. And now your host, Jeff Farian. Jeff, what's going on? Brad, it seems like it's been forever, man. I guess we went through that football season and uh, lost track of time. Didn't get any uh, podcasts made, so it's time to make one. You, this wasn't the only one that saw a little bit of a hiatus during the season. I so know. I believe you shut yours down. That was unbelievable. Well, there were other things going on. But when you want to come back, you got to come back strong. We're going to bring back one of our best guests, one of our favorite people, 21-year counselor, an entrepreneur. She has a bustling business over on Bethel Road and lots of rooms over there that are rented. There may be one or two left if you're out there looking. But she's... Uh, an extremely good friend of mine. She's my supervisor. And we're going to talk about emotional agility today. We're going to bring back Molly Fields. Hi, Molly. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for having me back. So glad to have you. It's always good. I mean, you know, when we look at our uh, internet ratings and whatever, the, the number of people that download or listen to the podcast, it always spikes when you come on. So we really appreciate you coming on. Great. So we hope that uh, you enjoy it too. Yeah, I'm looking forward to talking about this. I know that you didn't want to talk about yourself too much, but there's got to be something that's going on in your life that's interesting that you can oh, tell the, the audience to get us warmed up here today. You're ready for the awkward silence. Ah. <laughs> I mean, any good books, any new movies, any uh, kid stories? I saw the movie Free Guy. Free Guy. Did Ryan you guys Reynolds. see that movie? I made it through about the first 35 minutes. <laughs> I saw that last night with my kids, and I thought, man, I have to unpack this in my brain. Right. Because there's complex. a lot. Yes, there's a lot to that, and I kind of think I might be able to use that as a therapeutic. Uh, there was a lot of emotional agility going on in that movie. A lot of emotional agility. There was. And complexity. Complexity, emotional agility. So I guess for us as uh Listeners, you know, people that are novice to this, you know, I, I've discussed it with you a little bit, but can you explain to everyone else what emotional agility is? Well, let's break it down. Let's talk about agility first. What's agility? Agility is, I actually made sure to look it up so that I wasn't full of crap talking about this <laughs> yeah, topic. Yeah, Webster's de definition. Right. So the ability to move, think, and understand quickly. Okay. That's the definition of agility. So if we're talking about emotional agility, we want to have the ability to move think and understand through our emotions quickly okay so that we don't get stuck and bogged down by them okay and where does this come into play like in my daily life when do i need to be able to be emotionally agile well when do you have emotions all day long there you go but i mean is there more precedence like is there better moments than others well, the, 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 when I start talking about it in my office is when emotions are intensified. Okay. And when they become, uh, to the client, seemingly unmanageable. Okay. And I always want people to feel like they have control over their emotions. So helping them have a better management or even better language around emotions is critical to that. So to even understand that emotional agility exists is powerful in and of itself. Okay. And to be able to talk about the need for it and the ability to do it is powerful in itself. Well, who would even think that like that, that was something? I mean, how did you discover? Me. Well, so tell <laughs> tell me about tell me about the process that brought you to use this with clients. I mean, what how does it become something that helps them? Well, so 
people will come in with a lot going on and I can move people into laughing and crying all in the same 10 minute period. And people are amazed that during a session they can go from feeling elated and like super great to feeling super crappy and horrible and then back to feeling great and then be able to leave it in my office. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, that's a powerful thing to be able to do in a given hour. And if people can do it in an hour in my office, they can do it in any hour, anywhere when they, as they learn those skills. So I think just that that's what we do in the sessions is, is emotional agility. Okay. All right. Can you give me an example? I mean, is there an example of like, you know, no one specific, you can make one up if you want, but like where a person was in distress and then you showed them how to be emotionally agile. Well, okay. So Yes. Let's let's go there in a few minutes, though, because I want to go back and kind of set up the construct for this. Okay. So let's go back to your first episode, which I listened to. I was not a part of, but I listened to. And sure. in your first episode, you were talking about this concept that we had talked about in supervision mm-hmm. when you had asked me kind of what are the foundations of my therapeutic thinking? Like what are sure. the underpinnings of what I do with people? And I told you that I, that the focus, there were three focuses. Um, I. Attachment. Attachment, identity, and regulation. And you kind of said, oh, that's air. Like a, it's yeah. a, and so um, th- this emotional agility is a component of regulation. It's, it, that's, that, it falls under that, which is regulating yourself, which is okay. critical to being successful in general, right? Is As regulation a, like self-control? Is that the way you look at it? Yes. Re- well, yeah, regulating your internal world. So people who struggle with like attention deficit disorder or obsessive compulsive or um, adjustment, all those things are related to like not being able to regulate yourself mm-hmm. because of either something outside of you or something inside of you. Okay. So agility is just a way to regulate yourself. Okay. So if someone's had, so let's go back to your question a while ago about can you unpack this with a specific client? If someone's had a significant um, situation happen, like they've been in an accident or they've had they've lost someone recently and they need to they need to go through that and they need to to go back and re relive it okay and recognize what what happened and kind of unpack those emotions that are attached to it well a lot of times people can't do that with their friends or they can't do that with anyone else because people can't handle that it's like right. too much so in, in my office is a space where you can have the ugly cry you know you can you know you can say irrational things or rational things, but you can right. say things that are dark and, you know, we're sitting in the dark with people. That's what we're right. doing. So to me, that's what I, anybody's, they're bringing that stuff to us. I always say that to my clients that, you know, they are able to go places that they wouldn't go anywhere else in this room because they're in a safe environment. It's not going to be repeated by law. <laughs> it's not going to be um, discussed. It's just going to be let out. Right. And so, how do you take that and make that into a discussion about how they're being emotionally agile, how they're expressing their emotional agility? So once they talk about that and they get into those emotions, they can also leave those emotions. You probably have heard that quote, the mind is a beautiful servant but a terrible master. I mean, if 
they can learn how to tell their mind what to do during the hour. So we're going to open this up, we're going to feel all these things, and then we're going to put it away, and we're going to feel something else on to the next subject. And that is a drill, just like football players do. I'll talk football because you guys can appreciate football. <laughs> but, right, there's agility in football. They do those tire, yeah. those tire drills where it's like they have to move fast. Well, the only way they get there is to do that over and over again, right? Sure. Their drills aren't fancy or sexy. They're just over and over again the same thing to, like, get to where you want to get them to the place you want to get them in conditioning. Right. Well, it's the same thing with this kind of stuff. It's not sexy or fancy. It's, okay, you got to open the stuff up. you got to feel the feels, and then we got to tuck it away and go to the next thing. And you learn that you can do this. Like, you can move. You can move through and in and around. That your mind, you can tell your mind what to do. It doesn't necessarily have to tell you what to do. All right, so am I physically telling my mind what to do, or am I just knowing that this is what I need to do next? I mean, how, how do you explain that to somebody? Well, so... You know, we talked about this um, in other in other podcasts, but this whole idea of becoming an expert on ourselves, that's yeah. experimental by nature. So that's why every hour is interesting, kind of like everybody's fingerprint is different. We have to figure out what works for that person. And, and so, you know, what works for them to move in and around and through is going to be different than what works for someone else to move in and around and through. But some of it is just experimenting. Okay. So I come in, I'll use your example. I come in and I'm grieving. But I'm not grieving because I lost someone to death. I lost someone because uh, we broke up. So a, a relationship ended. Mm-hmm. A long-term, let's say it's a long-term friendship. Mm-hmm. So I'm very bitter with the person. I'm angry because I don't understand why, after being friends for so long, they can just ignore me. How do I use emotional agility to change my attitude? Or how would you express to me, you know, to go about trying to do that? In the in that t- in that period of time when we're processing it, or sure. in general? Well, just both. I mean. Okay. Well, in that time, I have these. I talk about um, relive, release, and resolve. So we're going to relive it. We're going to talk through what happened, all that, the okay. components of that relationship, and what went wrong, and how you feel like it's you know you weren't okay. handled well, and all that stuff. And then we're going to release it. We're going to almost like leave it in the room, almost like you've just purged it. You've just externalized it. You've just talked that through and we're going to leave it out here in the atmosphere. So is that a visual? I mean, is that just an ideological thing? I've released it because I've already, I've, I've given you all my angst. I've, I've let it all out. I'm, I, I, I've told you every last angry statement I can make about this person. Right. And, but I'm also sad because we had so many great moments. Right. I was a friend with this person for so long. Right. And that's where the resolve comes in. Because once you've released it, you've got to resolve that, like, okay, onward. We've got to move forward. There's nothing else I can do. People get stuck in that o- obsessive kind of state, and they get stuck there, and they have to move on. Or it's okay. going to, to, you know, they're never going to get past it to the next relationship. Okay. And the other thing with emotional agility, it's not just about navigating negative emotions. It's about navigating toward positive emotions. So if I want to drop off grief like you're talking about, or if I want to drop off anger, I have to decide what I want to feel in its place. There has okay. to be a replacement. So what would be the replacement? Well, it could be um, enthusiasm or excitement toward the future, what, what's new, because once something's gone, there has to be a, there gets to be a replacement for well, that. You know, that jerk won't talk to me anymore. There is no positive future. How's that going to be positive? Well, because there's room now for the next person. So you would suggest a different relationship? Like moving to a new relationship. Yeah. I don't meet anybody. I don't talk to anybody. I don't make friends. How do I make friends? I hear this a lot from clients. 
how do you how do you get next to that person and get them into it well i want to then i have a kind of a big emotions sheet and i'll even have them pick out three or four things that they want to feel let's say or if they can't pick them out i'll say well do you want to feel curious do you want to feel free do you want to feel excited do you want to feel you know happy whatever those those emotions are what kind of things can we set do to set your life up to feel those things to move toward okay. those things but I just don't see how I'm going to meet new people, especially not like this person. Well, and you don't have to. I mean, you don't have to believe that right now. You just have to, you know, move on life, you know. Okay. So it's just the, the prospect of the future. Okay, I understand. Um, are there different ways that you've used this in the past with clients that you found were not effective? Not that I want to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> we never fail. No, I mean, sure, yeah, there's ineffective. I mean, some people are not ready to grow, and you cannot make someone ready to grow until right. they're ready to grow. So, sure, there's resistance, well, and there are people that are, you know, really committed to misery. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm working with clients, and sometimes I find that they're in a cycle, right? So I can bring them back up by the end of the hour, but then by the time they come back in, they say, well, I've already experienced nine or ten, you know, very Cycles. Bad, yeah, just bad moments in the week or two weeks in between the appointments. And, you know, how do you help somebody break that cycle with well, this kind of technique? I don't think, though, this may sound crazy. I don't think having mad moments is a is a bad thing. I mean, I think we have bad we moments. crazy in psychotherapy? Sure, sure. <laughs> That's a diagnostic code right there. <laughs> crazy? Mm -hmm. Whatever happened to crazy? Crazier the better. Um, but, like, Brene Brown talks about, you know, wholehearted wholehearted living and in the wholehearted living concept is we have to feel the really extremely bad stuff to be able to feel the extremely good stuff because we can't feel one end of the continuum without feeling the other so to me for people to have to be feeling really intense or really dark or yeah. really negative i'm like let's go i can deal with that because if you can feel that you can yeah. feel the other end of that and i'm all for the other end of that well it just goes i mean i, I actually had this conversation with a client recently without bad is there good no I mean, so without good, is there bad? No, and without ugly, there's no pretty. Right. Right. We're so pretty, though. So I'm it's like, well, you know. <laughs> my dad, my dad used to say, "We're peaks and valleys people." He, that's what he would say about right. our family. And so, peaks and valleys, it's like you it hit happens. the high ends and the lows. <laughs> Careful with the equipment. I know. All right. Um, all right. I lost my track of thought. Um, self control. It seems to be a very important aspect to this. I, you know, people seem to give excuses that they lost control. Is that something that it has to tie in with emotions? And Well, they give it away. What do you mean? Well, if I lose control, if I've lost my self-control, I've given it to something else or somebody else because no one can take that from me unless I give it to them. Yeah. That's almost the only thing we have is the locus of control, right? So... Every, the the thing that create, gives us freedom is having an internal locus of control. No one can control what goes on inside of me. My outside, I can't control what happens around me, but I can control what goes on inside of me. And the only way anybody else gets a hold of that is for me to give it to them. Mm -hmm. I always talk about this with clients. In other words, you know, don't they can't hyper focus on the things that they don't have control of. And sometimes that causes great emotional damage to people because they do hyper-focus on things that are completely out of their control. Like my example of the relationship. 
I could not control this person wanting to be involved in my life or wanting to be my friend. But yet I would, would be hyper-focused on it, I'm sure, because I would really want to be friends, with, especially if it was a close friend. And, and, and taking me in that situation from negative to positive would be extremely difficult. I mean, how much time do you give that? How much, you know, how many sessions even? How much effort? To, to give a certain uh, Like if I'm completely wrecked, like total grief, how, how long would, I mean, what's realistic to tell the client even? How long would it take to go from emotional negativity to being more positive about themselves and their lives with the, the emotional agility you're talking about? Well, I think people can be quick studies. I mean, I think once people get it, they get it. It's like riding a bike. Is you know, it some, pe- some people take a little bit of time to learn to ride a bike, and some people are like, they get on that two wheels, and they're like down the road, right? Is it because people naturally want to feel good? I mean, do you think that's na- – is that nature? Because there's a lot of negative people on this planet, and it seems to me like they naturally want to feel bad. Yeah, I don't think there's a natural drive toward feeling good. I think there's a natural drive toward feeling bad bad and culturally we're saturated in things that encourage that and i think it would be invaluable to be able to teach yourself how to stop that unpack that leave it and become in a better mood yeah that agility would be far better than being able to cut right on a out pattern and catch the football for a touchdown right reg I mean, the, the, I mean, seriously, being being able to control your brain, I think, would be va- far more valuable than to be physically in control. A yeah, lot, for think, sure. I think. But it also is a lot of work, right, and discipline. Because if I'm going to control my brain, I have to do that every minute of every hour of every day, right? I mean, there's there's a sense of like, okay, we have to be fully alive. I have to be fully in this room, fully in this yeah. conversation, mm-hmm. fully in the conversation inside my head and the conversation with you. So is there a better time to focus on it? Because, you know, some of the clients that I face, you know, their anxiety is so high. And so if you give them, like, you give them the idea that they always have to be on top of their emotions, they probably would lose it and not be able to control themselves. That's a good question. I think, sure, there are times, in fact, some clients, I will have them come in at their best time of the day. So I've even come in at 8 a.m. feel the best. Yeah. So I've even come in, have them come in at 8 a.m., you know, and if they're a morning person or come in at 8 p.m. if they're an evening person. I mean, I'm there 13 hours some days. So, you know, I want people to be in my office when they're ready to do the work. Okay. So you even suggest to them, you know, for us to be successful, you need to come in when you're feeling your best. Yeah. And I'm willing to even sacrifice a little bit and come in at the time that's going to be best for you. For sure. That's awesome. Like, that's great. Uh, what if it's not possible? Well, then you make then you make the most of it. I mean, it, sometimes it's almost better to have people come in at their worst because yeah. you're getting you're getting you know all the different all the different facets of is, them. And is it easier to teach emotional agility when people are out of you know like they're having bad emotions, or is it easier to teach them when they're of calm mind? It's easier when it's one extreme or the other, when they're either at the peak or the valley. But when people are just sort of like. Eh. It's been all right. I'm kind of plateaued right now. I'm like, oh, I got nothing for that. <laughs> yeah, I really don't know <laughs> what I want to talk about today. Uh, there has to be something. <laughs> and they always go, oh, no, I'm not sure. But if we went from a peak, like let's, get, let's say a high peak, like very happy, very happy. Do you take them to that negative place? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like what, how would you lead someone to that? Um, 
I have conversation cards that sometimes I'll use with people where they'll pick um, topics like time or money or sex or um, communication or, uh, you know, bad And if memory. it seems to be one they don't want to talk about, that's the one you pick? Well, I always have them pick a couple they don't want to talk about. So you tell them, pick ones you don't want to talk about. Some, Yeah, some of it. So what it's that we've got a mix. What about the syndrome of clients telling you what you want to hear? So they're just pretending that it's one they don't want to talk about just so that it's easier for them. Well, if clients are telling me what I want to hear, they're going to tell me the things that are hard. Because I want to deal with the hard stuff. I want them to get their money's worth. I want to go, I want to get dirty. And, yeah. you know, I want to deal with the stuff. Yeah. I'm not interested in, like... You know, nebulous, you know, repetitive, cyclical yeah. conversations. I agree. Like, I, I have a client that probably just has um, repressed anger because of the poor way he was raised. But he wants to talk about modern reasons, not repressed reasons. And so, how do you take that client from the reality that he wants to present to the one that's probably causing him the problem? That goes back, yeah. that goes back oh, yeah. into the past. Oh, yeah. Well, one of the things I'll do in one of the first few sessions with clients is um, I will have them um, come up with their five defining moments of their life, so the five things that have defined them the most in their past. And a lot of times those are good and bad things, like the most good and the most bad times of their life. And yeah. so I, once I have that frame and I know the things that have defined them and that have, have created their their relational construct then i can go back and say hey can we talk about this or can we talk about that and kind of move in and around and through memories okay that have been shaping them interesting so five best and five worst what moments or situations or memories memories experiences moments in time i i this is, you know, and, and I eventually draw things out of people. It takes, you know, it takes getting an alliance. It takes getting therapeutically close to someone. But at the beginning, people have trouble, like, telling the real hard ones. Yeah. And, and, and to me, it's just a matter of time, you know, like spending weeks, uh, like five, six sessions at least. Yeah. To get there. Well, and they have to believe, yeah, they have to really believe that we can help them. And sometimes we almost have to be an example of that so sometimes I'll give examples in my own life of emotional agility yeah. and like I think about the 20 years of practice I've had to be I've had to really do some you know emotional gymnastics to get through some sessions and to get into sessions where you know I've, I mean I had periods where I had three miscarriages I have a divorce I had a, my dad died I've had all kinds of things happen in the midst of all these years and sometimes I have to go right into a session after news or right into the next day, a full line of, yeah. you know, clients. And I have to go, okay, Molly, you got to put that away and unpack that later. You got to like, you know, emotionally you'll deal with that, but it isn't going to be right now because now you're going to go deal with other people's. And so emotional agility is an interest of me because it's something that I had to learn to do for myself in order to be effective as a therapist or even as a person in relationships. Thanks for sharing that, by the way. You mean you when you come on the podcast, Molly, you don't have to tell your life story. I, mean, I, I have the same syndrome. I mean, I, I talk about myself a lot. You know, I listen to Yalom, and Yalom says that disclosure leads to closeness of client. 
And so if I give more information about myself, they start to trust me more because they'll believe. But and Yalom says we're fellow journeymen, right? So we're, yeah. we're, we're people coming along other people. There's no authority construct or there's no teacher-student construct. It's I'm coming along with you. Here's what I've learned along my path. Mm-hmm. And here's what I can help you learn along yours. And that's really, like, cool to me. But is there a point where, you know, you should, like, cut it off and not tell them much more? Because I don't know. Because I, I don't – I always – I always fear conversations where people are one-upping each other. And I don't want to seem like in therapy that I'm trying to one-up my client by telling them the terrible thing that might have happened to me. Yeah, you can't be indulgent. It has to be for them. It has to be something that you think will benefit them, not just because I want to hear myself talk or because I think I'm interesting or any of those things. It has to be a benefit to serve them. Well, I, I I think it would be great to help clients go from Anger or pain or, you know, unhappiness to feeling good within that session. And having that kind of emotional agility, to me, seems like it would be very valuable, very great for a client in session. Um, how, do you, how do you teach them to use that in their own lives after they leave the session? Well, what they can do with me, they can do anywhere because it's not fancy. There's no magic, right? There's no... You know, this isn't Harry Potter land. I mean, we're just, you know, having conversations, and hopefully the conversation that we have in a session they can have with themselves after they leave. And that's how you would put it to them? Uh-huh. Yeah, because, you know, yeah, we learn how to talk to ourselves based on how we talk with others. And so if we construct healthier conversations and sessions, then they can go construct healthier conversations with themselves. And if we can invite negative or positive emotions in sessions, then we can they can invite negative or positive emotions outside of sessions. The only other note I have, and I know you didn't want to go through the notes too much, but you put a quote from Brene Brown in our notes about living wholeheartedly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that something that uh, is relational to this? Well, yeah, I mentioned a while ago that she talks about living wholehearted and that to live um, wholeheartedly we have to experience the full measure of emotions, and that includes the, the extreme negative and extreme positive. And so, I mean, I think she's been pretty formative in some of the language around um, conversations that we could never have in the past, you know, around vulnerability and. I've used this in uh, couples therapy, but you're suggesting that we should use it for all, like for self-love even. Mm -hmm. Because in couples therapy, I always mention that, you know, especially if they're married, um, you married this person for all, for good, bad, indifferent and you need to accept all good, bad, or indifferent, mm-hmm. or else why are you married to that person? Right. Um, I guess it could apply to yourself. I mean, people, I mean, we're our worst critics. <laughs> we're our most heinous judge. Whenever, you know, the voice in your head probably te- says more negative things to you daily than anyone on the outside ever does. And to get that voice to accept the person, like if I accept myself, uh, that would be extremely valuable. I, I, I think, it, is that also the goal of emotional agility, to, to self-acceptance and, and moving forward with self-love, self-joy? Uh, uh, yeah, because we relate to ourselves the way we relate to others, and we relate to others the way we relate to ourselves. So either way, if we get better in one, we're, we're, it's likely to impact and affect the other. Could they practice in the mirror? Okay, let's let's not go Stuart Smalley. 
Well, I did see, it was, you know, the Today Show or whatever, but this woman sold a billion books, and her whole concept is high-five yourself in the mirror every morning, and you'll have a great day. Does it put you in such a great mood? Well, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm against cheesy. <laughs> and I think that, I think some of that is hard, is not very believable. I always want to be super believable and I want the work to be super believable. Yeah. And so to me, that doesn't work. Maybe for some people that will work, but in All my right. office, I don't, I want, I don't want to be. All right. So hard question. Too soft. Hard question. How do you take the idea of. Just unloading and getting rid of my negative emotion and becoming positive in this moment. Agility, you know, the emotional agility of that in a client session. How do you make that believable? They see it. They do it. They live it. So, how, they but how do you get, I mean, I guess that's the point. How do you get them to do it in, in session? How do they actually go through it? I crack them open. <laughs> so, they, they have to, they literally have to give every last ounce of the negative to move to the positive. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about this concept of containers for pain before. Yeah. And so the first session, when, when I talk to people, I talk about my office is going to be, my office in this relationship is going to be a container for pain for you. You're going to leave it here. You're going to open things up, and you're going to drop them off, and you're going to expose things, and I'm going to put it in this file, and it's going to live in there. Yeah. And, like, we start that sort of the, the conversation about ordering the internal world and when we order our internal world we have more and more control and when we have more and more control we have more and more agility and so to me all these things sort of as we start from the very beginning of the session we're teaching 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 some of this stuff and then then that all allows the process do you ever use the miracle question for this kind of work which is if I could wake, like, so a person has a, a life that they don't like, they're unhappy, they're very dissatisfied, things aren't going the way that they want. You say, if you could wake up tomorrow and things would be exactly the way you wanted in your life, what would that look like? I haven't. Have you? Yeah, I've tried it a couple times. Well, do they give you, like, good answers? Sometimes. Sometimes when, I mean, that's, that's the point I'm getting at. Sometimes I think people are so entrenched in their negative, it's, it's, difficult to unentrench them you know to get them out yeah yeah i think they have to believe that they can do it yeah there has to be a vision for it for sure but we cast that yeah absolutely and when they get a taste of it if you can just get a little taste of something then you can see well if i have a little taste of this here i can have a big taste of it you know as i as i create so i just want to give them a little little taste of a different kind of uh, process in their brain sure and they get it yeah, I agree. Because I don't think people talk about this stuff very much. No one talks about this. You know, people don't have very deep conversations. I think we're pretty superficial in a lot of ways in our relationships. And so people are really, you know, hungry for depth. So they're hungry to, you know, go to the next level conversationally. Well, Reggie and Cliff go this deep on Fridays, usually. <laughs> <laughs> Not usually, but we do occasionally. <laughs> I'm going to have to start listening. Well, they're very interesting. You should be a guest once in a while. They have fun. <laughs> um, well, I put you to task, Molly, and I appreciate it because I really am trying to understand this, and I, I, I've got a better idea and a better concept of it. I, I want to be more emotionally agile myself. I mean, I go through a range of emotions every day about all the different things I do, you know, teaching college, coaching football, living with my wife, uh, and then going in and handling the clients I handle every week. And it, it's, it can be rough. 
Yeah, it can make you feel, I don't know, complicated. <laughs> like, I don't know if I can handle all this, or then you're handling all of it. And then you're like, okay, I can handle all this. And I feel, feel better. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Let me jump in. I know we're wrapping up, but social media is a good example of it creates some emotional agility because when you scroll down through whatever social media you have and you see a post of this person or a post of that, there's so many different emotions we have based on what we're scrolling through, right? Some of it's super positive and some of it's super negative, but you keep scrolling and what happens? You're going to the next emotion because the next post drives something else. So that's a perfect example of emotional agility that we don't even think of as emotional agility. Just, Oh, there's a post, and I'm feeling this. Now I'm feeling this. Now I'm feeling this. Now I'm feeling this. And so, you know, in a session, we're doing lots of that. Not looking at social media posts, but we're talking about all the different components of their life, and it opens up a new feeling. It opens up another feeling. And so um, there's a lot of places where we have emotional agility that we don't even recognize. And when we start really tuning into the idea that we have that and we can have more of that, that's where the power is. I think it's a good statement to end on. Molly, thanks again. Uh, I know we want to do another uh, segment on loss maybe sometime before the end of the year, maybe early next year. But uh, we really appreciate it. Um, Any final words, Reg? He was quiet today. Reggie was quiet. There were things that I wanted to say that would get me in trouble, so I would keep them to myself. (laughs) But as always... Always good to have the Mind and Body Understanding podcast back for another episode. So, thank you, Jeff. Well, thanks, everybody, for uh, logging in, listening, uploading, downloading, whatever it is you do. Keep doing it. And we'll be back again with Mind and Body Understanding. I'm Jeff Farian signing off.